When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. Here's the conclusion of my conversation with Ryan Maybach and Ethan Ewell from Barton Mallow in this episode of the Softest Teal podcast. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you should definitely go give that a listen before this since we expand upon the concepts from that episode here. Hope you enjoy it. What are the challenges you're facing as it relates to getting the people you need to be able to staff mega projects like Ford or many other projects you have in different parts of the country? What are the challenges you're facing today? They are definitely broad. I think, you know, we can look at the potential workforce challenges through a lens of the industry as a whole. And I know from listening to some of the past podcast episodes, Dennis, you've covered that. I think some of ours really get to, you know, first and foremost, trying to understand and forecast what some of the you know, needs and opportunities for human capital really are. I mean, it's remarkable the market that we're in right now. And it used to be when, you know, a couple few hundred million dollar project, that was a big job. And the magnitude and the size, the complexity of some of our projects are unlike what we've really ever experienced before. Again, referencing the Glendale, Kentucky project for Ford. It's remarkable in its size and scope. Mm -hmm. First time I saw it on a report, I just saw that I I was convinced it was an error. You know, someone fat fingered an extra (laughs) zero because, I mean, there are just not projects of that size. And Uh so just a very different level of complexity and will require a very different level of oversight from Ethan, from the team that's down there, from a foreman that's trying to manage a crew that's spread out over not just square feet or square meters, I mean, really square miles. I mean, it's massive in its magnitude and complexity. And have large programs and projects existed in the industry in the past? Certainly. But I think the number of those certainly that we see in our backlog and in our portfolio, and I know from speaking to some of my peers uh, that are in, in theirs as well, the market as a whole is at a really unique juncture. So again, the complexities therein are unique. How do you forecast what the human capital needs may be, uh, both for ourselves as well as for our trades? How do you ramp up efforts to introduce the industry potentially to those that don't have a background in it? Because on paper, we can anticipate that the needs are going to be great. But you know, I'll be honest, it pokes a little bit at integrity because I think what I've witnessed, I feel like at least on a couple of times in, in my career, are significant ramp-ups that are often followed by contractions. And so it's a little bit daunting at times to want to introduce the industry to so many folks, but knowing as well that the industry can be very cyclical. And so Mm -hmm. there are some, I think, really unfortunate stories and examples where people have been brought in and then introduced to the industry, but then have departed when the work wasn't there. And I think that that's a real unfortunate challenge and something that we speak a fair bit about is 
how do we ensure a measure of sustainability and, and longevity, minimize some of the, the peaks and valleys, if you will, that we know mm-hmm. are um, patterns of the industry in the past? Yeah. I had an opportunity to be at a conference that I was chairing, and we invited a gentleman from actually a company, you probably know this company, FMI mm-hmm. out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Another one of my stops on my career's journey was with FMI, but their lead economist came and spoke to a, an association of union contractors in Chicago. And one of the things he kind of threw up on the board was as a myth, uh, and the myth is that there is a workforce shortage in the construction industry. And he said, there is no workforce shortage. This is simply a feature of the construction industry and how it operates. Sometimes demand is great, sometimes demand is lower, and you don't know what the ebbs and flows are gonna be, but you have to be prepared to deal with it in order to be able to sustain your business. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. And I know you recently engaged in the topic of data and analytics on a recent podcast. Mm -hmm. I I, um, can say we have significantly ramped up uh, our, our efforts therein. We are very fortunate to have a fantastic leader, Cesar Diaz, that has been able to, uh, is, is very passionate and is able to help shape data into really actionable packets for us. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've, we've taken, we're fortunate, we have uh, 99 years of financial history and we've analyzed it you know, every which way till Sunday to look at the various patterns and then go levels deeper to try to understand. And it's been very helpful to try to minimize, to, to your point, some of those um, you know, peaks and valleys, because ultimately mm-hmm. it's not just the valleys that can have a negative impact on, on people. It can be both. I mean, I think for, for any of us, I mean, when we look at our own personal experiences, you know, when there are significant changes in our, our lives, uh, that can be stressful, that can be challenging, that can generate anxiety. And so, you know, ramping up on uh, some of, again, the, the ramping workload up and then as well, ramping workload down very quickly can, can really take a human toll. And so uh, it's something that, that we are, are spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to, how to balance, how to, how to get to your point on the economist comment, minimize some of those extremes. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan, how do you see it on the front line? You're at a, you're at a, at probably one of your largest projects that's active right now, I would guess it would have, almost have to be. Is that, is that fair, Ryan? If you got, you got projects bigger than four? hundred percent. We don't need to look at any data or analytics to know that. No. It's a solid. <laughs> so how do you see it on the front, on the front line, Ethan? We're talking about, you know, about, you know, having the people that you, that you need the right, the right, the right kinds of people. And some of them are just just arms and legs that that you can train credibly to do you know the less skilled activity activities that are part of a construction project. Others are you know much more highly trained, uh, certified, et cetera, et cetera. How do you see it on the front lines? Yeah, I mean we've certainly had our challenges, you know, especially the size, you know, a project this size. I'd say fortunately, you know, for um, myself and, and and you know what I oversee. You know, coming kind of coming in early on in the project, you know, one of the first one boots on the ground. You know, I think we get a lot of those people, you know, through the doors and, and you know, trial by error, you know, and, and kind of, you know, vet that out. So I mean, we, we've, I think, been fortunate. I think part of that is, you know, the size of the job also attracts people, mm-hmm. um, I think, which is helpful. Um, but I think other contractors, especially later on, you know, as they come on board, some MEP contractors, I've really felt that that challenge of finding enough people 
Um, there's been a lot of conversations around, you know, um, I think bonus payments and stuff like that um, to try to get people here. And then as, you know, uh, our owner client, you know, brings on the process side, you know, that just adds adds to the stress and, you know, you just kind of feel it squeezing down, you know, on the contractors around you. So um, definitely had challenges. I mean, even, you know, bringing in, you know, being, being away from our hometown, you know, trying to get, you know, I think we have 200 and some people on, on our you know, payroll um, just for concrete. Um, so, so trying to get that many people and, and really buying into our culture of safety and, you know, the experts that we need to do our job and, and be out there working safe every day is, is definitely has its challenges. Um, you know, I, I think we've, I would say we've done a, a pretty good job at overcoming. Um, we still got work to do. But you know, I think we're I think we're getting there. Yeah. How have you have you how do you feel you guys have done with uh, with regards to uh, dealing with the realities? I I, I I like to talk about inclusion, uh, but the predecessor term, which is still operationalized in many places, is diversity. Um, how do you how do you feel you guys are doing as far as diversifying your workforce? So, getting more representation for underserved populations, women in the workforce. How do you feel? How do you feel you're doing? You know, I think we're making progress. I think you know it certainly can be debatable the pace of progress, but um, you know, I think that we are we're making progress, and I think that there are uh, several qualitative as well as um, quantitative cues that can support and validate that. And uh, as well, I think the industry as a whole is 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 changing. Again, you can debate pace, uh, but it's changing in a way that is. Uh, positive and, and and embracing, and I think that again, the size of uh, projects, you know, creates opportunities uh, to be able to introduce the work, introduce the industry to a workforce that maybe hasn't been uh, familiar. And um, again, we referenced earlier the the legacy, the often the, the family legacy that um, I believe we see within Bart Mallow, but also I know exists in, in many other. Um, firms. And so, you know, that's, again, really positive, depending on on how much you highlight that and embrace that, that can also make it potentially intimidating or challenging for um, people that, that are the, the first in their family or maybe don't have any family history of, you know, understanding of, of construction. If you have that family legacy, you know that a lot of the traditional paradigms of the business aren't necessarily valid and that there's some tremendous positives. Uh, if you don't have that family legacy, there is definitely a paradigm and a stigma that we have to overcome as an industry. And I think it's, it, it takes a long time to change uh, perceptions. And so the reality, too, is that we're in an economy where it's, people have options. You know, there are a lot of options that are out there. And we also learned things through uh, COVID in terms of flexibility. That's the, the range of possibilities of how people can work have expanded exponentially comparative to what we experienced pre-COVID. So uh, we're, we're competing both as firms in the industry and then as an industry as a whole with, with a range of different uh, challenges. So, you know, back again to your, uh, to your question, Dennis, I think we're making progress and it's uh, positive in uh, in, in several regards, but I think that there's obviously still a tremendous amount of work to do. We do not 
have a workforce as, as a whole, as an industry uh, that mirrors society? Is it reasonable to contemplate that we get 100% of the way there? Um, you know, maybe, maybe not, but certainly a lot closer to that than, than what we currently are. Yeah. Well, you know, it, there, there is, there, there is a steadily increasing amount of dialogue uh, around the whole notion of, uh, of, of equity, inclusion, social justice. You've heard, you know, again, if you look at my stuff, you know that, that, uh, that I, that I talk about four things in some way, every, in every conversation I have and in every, every workshop I deliver. Um, and 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 they are they are inclusion, social justice, leadership, and now with a with a question, I talk about love. Um, so share with share with me both of you your thoughts about you know the role that that love plays in the business uh, that that Barton Mallow is in. Well, I, you know, Dennis, I don't know that that's a question I've been asked before, and uh, I was going to punt that one over to Ethan, but. <laughs> And I, and he would punt it back to you and that would be punting. And would, yeah. I mean, you know. I, I would say like the, you know, just, I guess all, all joking aside, I mean, I think, or I guess maybe not joking aside, but like when for love for me, when you first asked that question, Dennis is like, well, I met my wife here. So of course I love the business. Right. <laughs> um, I, I wasn't going to bring that up, but I mean, knowing, uh, um, knowing Tara, I was, I was kind of hopeful that, that you would Ethan. but yeah, I think, you know, he love is love. Interestingly, Dennis, I mean, two of those words, at least, love and leadership, can be so broad and potentially interpreted in so many different ways. I mean, uh, leadership is is a is a, a whole another potential uh, exploration. But within love, I mean, people can talk about love in so many different ways. Oh man, I love that. That was great. You know, we're talking about food or talking about some experience. Yeah, uh, I love this person. We can talk about it yeah. again from a relational context. So, I. I, I generally, although I use words like love and leadership quite frequently, I think if it's delivering a point, you want to be really careful to make sure that people really grasp it and understand it. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I think that uh, I, I'm, I, it's great that, that you are embracing those words and they clearly mean something to you. I think I'm, I might use different words, but they might have similar meaning. And so, you know, I think for, for me, when we talk about love in a relational context, it just really yeah. gets to, um, you know, I, I, I have tremendous respect for, for Ethan. I, I, I think it's okay for me to say, I don't know that I really love Ethan. Uh, I really love <laughs> you. I have yeah. huge respect for you. I'm really glad, Ethan, that you love yeah. Tara. Uh, but I think yeah. <laughs> making sure that, uh, that the dignity and that respect that I believe is embedded in love absolutely would be there. Uh, is critically important in every relationship. I guess now, like, you know, Ryan, I, I think I wholeheartedly agree with you. And, and I think maybe one thing that does come to mind is, is you know, I guess or maybe or around love would be just, hey, we want people to love what they do. Because if they don't love and enjoy, ah. if they don't love and enjoy what they do, then, you know, maybe, maybe we're not getting the most out of them, or maybe they're not, uh -huh. you know, fully engaged with what they're doing. See, and you guys thought you had nothing to say about it. <laughs> It, 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 it just took me a minute. It, it, it is kind of it, it is it feels like a gotcha question, but you know it comes from you know my learning over the years, and in particular, my mentor is a guy named Steve Farber, uh, who's uh, probably one of the better known leadership uh, experts uh, traveling around, and uh, and he wrote a book twenty years ago uh, that was entitled "The Radical Leap," uh, and he used storytelling to convey his four tenets of leadership. 
Uh, and the acronym LEAP stands for love as the first, energy as the second, audacity as the third, and the fourth being proof. So what he would say is that, you know, love generates energy. Uh, if you're energetic and excited about what you're engaged in, uh, you're going to be willing to not be constrained by saying we can't do things outside the box because there is no box, but we also can't do things that produce bad results. So the proof that that love works in business uh, is the bottom line. Because uh, he would also say, and he wrote another book called Love is Just Damn Good Business. Uh, you know, it was published a couple of years ago. I highly recommend all of his books. He's, you know, we, we are closely aligned. Uh, so the idea around, around love, and you, you basically said it the right way, and Ryan, everything you said was, 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 uh, was in play. The, the idea that, um, and again, this comes from his book, uh, I don't, you know, I, I, and he knows that I talk about it, him and his book quite a bit and annoys him uh, in only the best ways possible. But uh, one of the set of phrases that you heard, Ethan, actually in my workshop, and it was in, in, in some proper context, but it really had to do with uh, our outlook on our, on our existence. And, and, and a big part of our existence is, is what we do to make a living. Um, and, and the phrases are this, do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. I mean, that's undeniable, you know, and that's not the mushy-gushy love. That just simply says, if you got the energy, if you're, if, you know, and it doesn't mean you love every, everything about your job every day. I'm sure there are days, Ryan and Ethan, the same way, that you just wished, I, I do not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to look at the email. I'm not, I, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to agree to that meeting. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk to that guy over there that's headed my way. And, but that's just, that's our, that's the practical reality of, of life. But the, but the but the outlook is 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 the, is the key. I asked that question. I asked it a little differently. I said, "What role does life pl does love play in your life at work, at home, and in your community?" I put that question to six leaders when I did a modified Soft as Steel podcast in front of a live audience at the International Union of Paintings, Paintings and Allied Trades Finishing Industries Forum at one of their two major meetings at, each year. Um, and I had the general president, uh, along with uh, leaders from uh, from five different contracting companies in the in the finishing trades, and I asked them that question in front of a live audience. So if you're so if you're curious to hear how other people answer that question, that whole video is on my website, and you can fast forward to that where that question is and listen to their answers. You you guys both did fine, but it's again it's it's another level of awareness about something that you already know something about, but sometimes putting it into words. Uh, seems uncomfortable, awkward, or just doesn't quite fit because we all jump to the first thought is, you know, love, lovey-dovey, you know, my, my wife, my girlfriend, you know, whatever it is. But Ryan, you talked about the other ways that love is, is present and appropriate to talk about it. You know, I love playing golf. You know, I'm awful at it, but I love playing golf. I love talking to people. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm a little bit better at that than golf, thank God. But you, under but you understand where I'm coming from. This is a, it's a good word. And it's a word that really that you that you you embrace it uh, without saying it. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that you add it to your vocabulary. Although the framework of of what Steve refers to as extreme leadership is something that that it would would probably fit very well with your with your refreshing process, taking a look at your values. Um, and there's an engineering company in Seattle that integrated uh, the Leap framework into their corporate values. Uh, and, uh, and and kind of restructured how they talk about the culture of their company uh, using this as an additional element in that. So that's why I always bring up love because I'm all for that. And I think that set of phrases 
you know, anybody can use it and use it uh, to, to the benefit of whatever it is they're trying to advance. Um, at the end of the day, if you have happy customers, you're not going to be you're not going to be hard bidding all your jobs because they're going to come back to you. Right, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for anyone in the industry, the, the the sweet spot is the ability to build trust uh, and and build relationship over over time. Again, mutual trust where yeah, you can you can move forward and uh, just pick up work and and, uh, and and keep doing it. And so yeah, definitely agree. Ethan, any other thoughts around this on on love or the related issues around it, or should we move on to our next uh, topic? Yeah, I, Ryan, I think I think Ethan for for being as nervous as he was, I think he's a bit of a chatty Kathy, is what I'm saying. Uh, I did not sense any of the nerves, Dennis. Maybe that you did. I think uh, Ethan is is pretty well. well no, he told me he was nervous. I, you know, I, I can't. You know, I'm I'm pretty good at sensing things in people, but he told me. I said I'm a little bit nervous, so I'm I'm calling you on it, Ethan. I think you. I think it was a setup. Actually, I think it was a setup. You can. All right. You can talk to my wife. I'm sure she'll tell you otherwise. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. Um, let's let's. Talk, uh, so we talked a bit about workforce development. Um, uh, we've, uh, and I, I don't want to end, we talked a little bit about generational things. Uh, and again, uh, a, a question I have around, uh, around generations, obviously we know they're represented in our workforce. Um, the, uh, the baby boomers of which I am a, a proud member of the upper echelon of that group. Uh, we're, we're steadily declining. Uh, do, do you have any feel for what percentage of your overall workforce are still are, are baby boomers that you're going to be losing over the next two to five years or shorter? Who knows? Any sense of that, Dennis? We do have that data. I um, unfortunately, I, I should have been maybe better prepared and have that be able to speak to you right off the cuff. Um, we are fortunate as we would evaluate our workforce comparative to uh, the you know industry averages or, or norms, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the realm of, of leadership. You know, when you look at someone like Ethan and the role that he's in, um, you know, our, our, we tend to be younger than the industry average. Uh, which is positive, and yes. uh, so I, I I feel pretty optimistic about how we're positioned. But uh, again, I think when we look holistically, we don't build in a vacuum, and we're relying on an ecosystem of an industry as a whole to help yeah. us get to a a good place. And so um, you know that uh, you know I'm, I'm, it's interesting. You know, one of the other positives of having um, you know, family legacy is the ability for, for me to talk to my dad who uh, started work in this business long, long ago. We, mm-hmm. we uh, uh, were able to, to celebrate, I think it was 55 years of, of anniversary for him. And, and wow. so it's nice to be able to say, hey, just out of curiosity, I mean, has, has this come up before? And, and there are absolutely themes and there are workforce related themes that have transcended over decades. And uh, so I don't, I, as we say that, you know, I don't think we should leave it to chance that, hey, look, this stuff is just going to get figured out on its own. Um, that's probably not good. But I also don't know that we need to uh, be overly concerned. We are an industry that is comprised of professional problem solvers, and we overcome on a daily basis uh, to be able to do what we do. And right. so, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to be a glass half full type of person, and I'm, I'm quite confident that we're going to we're gonna we're gonna make a positive difference yeah. with some of the workforce challenges yeah. that we're talking about. That's a good position to be in. Um, you know, I would also say that uh, the, the way the way I hear you talk about it uh, is uh, that 
is 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 sensible is the word I want to use. I mean, again, uh, what I really appreciate about both of you in this conversation is uh, is your plain spokenness, if that's a word. Is that a word? Spokenness sounds good, doesn't it? Right? Does sound good. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think probably. it's plain spoken. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, help me out here. You know, I mean, I. You yeah, know, I would say plain spokenness is plain spoken, so that's great. Oh, good. Oh, good. So I'm okay. Okay, yeah. Ethan, I'm good, right? You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thank God that this is only going to be audio because they'd, they'd see the, the expression on this old guy's face looking like a like an idiot. But uh, that's a little bit who I am. I'm you know I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be formal and structured and uh, and and totally you know like nerdy about this. I'm having a conversation with a couple of pretty incredible people that I've just met. Well, uh, Ryan's I've just met. Um, people versus technology. I can't let this uh, this time end without I was talking about that because it relates to generational. It relates to workforce development. Um, I mean, for the first, and I, I'm kind of interested from the ground, from, kind of from the from the boots on the ground perspective uh, initially. Uh, what 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 are you seeing? What do you what are you talking about? What do you think are 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 the issues around you know the the integration of technology into how we do our work? I guess Dennis, I had a comment. You know, you know, based off the last question you you asked Ryan, and that it's probably going to tie into technology. But um, you know, I think. A lot of, and I, I think I agree from the trade side, you know, I'm seeing this really the same thing. I think we actually have a lot of, you know, middle-aged to younger, you know, people, you know, out in the field. So I think, you know, as, you know, that baby boomer generation retires and moves on, I think we're actually set up for pretty good success. Um, and, and I think, you know, moving into your, your technology question specifically, or people versus technology is, um, you know, we do have a lot of young you know, people in, I would say, leadership roles, you know, within, you know, in the field and in, in the trades. Um, and I think one of the things that helps, you know, bridge that gap of, you know, generations is technology and, and the way we use it. Um, you know, hey, I think led by Bart Mallow is, is we are very uh, innovative. You know, I think Ryan himself, you know, really pushes the innovative side of the company and, and um, definitely, you know, has that, you know, at the top of one of our initiatives. Um, so what we do with, you know, virtual design and modeling and and all of that and, and you know, how they, you know, how we have a team of people that, you know, creates, you know, these drawings or, you know, just the technology we have and, you know, gives it to the people in the field, our field leaders, um, helps them be better builders and helps them, you know, streamline, you know, their knowledge and, and you know, I guess, expedite their knowledge on, on how, what to build and how to build it. Um, so, so like I said, I definitely think there's a tie, you know, with technology that definitely helps, you know, bridge that gap of, you know, maybe the lack of, um, you know, the Gen Xers, if you mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. Ryan? Yeah, I think the, the way that you put that, Dennis, people versus technology, I mean, versus it kind of indicates in opposition to, or that there's this, again, contrast. And you know, technology absent people really doesn't do much of anything. You know, I think people absent technology were incredibly challenged. And so, you know, it really does get to, you know, the concept Jim Collins introduced, or at least where I first read the tyranny of the or you don't need to look at this in, in opposition. It's how do these two things that, you know, aren't going away, how best to find synergy in working together. And can confidently say that technology certainly helps me do what I do better. I believe it helps Ethan 
do what he does better. And quite frankly, absent technology, we wouldn't even be able to be recording this podcast. And Mm so, you know, there are so many positives that make us as humans better in many ways. Are there downsides to technology? Absolutely. But that's true of everything that we engage in in life. And I think part of, again, the reason we as humans are special and unique is that you know, it's incumbent upon us to discern, to understand, you know, how best to extract the positives and minimize some of the negatives. And so I'm super optimistic that technology, we've already seen technology move the needle in positive ways, but I'm super optimistic that it's just going to continue to do so at an accelerated pace. I don't believe that that creates roadblocks. I think it actually helps to really connect to a number of the other things we've talked about, introduce the industry to others in ways that actually takes barriers down as opposed to puts them up. And I see a lot of real positives. Does it mean it's going to change? Is it potentially create anxiety? No question. I mean, I'm (laughs) increasingly as someone who's on the cusp of 50, who learned typing in high school on a typewriter. Mm -hmm. Still, I think I was one of the last in my high school to have it on on a typewriter. Mm -hmm. Change can be hard. And I definitely feel technology change, I embrace it different today than I did 10 years ago. It was much easier 10 years ago than it is today. Right. But I think I have a different experience that can help those that maybe are, again, able to embrace that technology better than maybe I can. I add value in maybe some different ways. And yeah. so it's going to be, I think, a perpetual cycle of you know, introduction of new technologies. We figure out how best to embrace it and adapt. But I think it's a real accelerator and a real positive yeah. for us as individuals, as well as the industry as a whole. Yeah, I think the way you answer was terrific. I would say that this is a good example of applying loose application of the phrase, fear is the absence of faith. The faith part is in your leadership, that they're going ma- to make prudent decisions to determine what's the best way for us to utilize this expanding additional resource in coordination with our people as our primary resource to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of everything we do, and thereby ultimately serving our customers better and doing it perhaps in a more profitable manner. And there's nothing wrong with making money in the construction business. It shouldn't be a bad word. Some people like to throw it around that way, but there's nothing wrong with that. And that really is the ultimate proof that soft skills, but also about things that you don't know something about, having fear is not helpful. So it rests on your back, Ryan, on yours, Ethan. When you detect that, then you have to, and it does, at least from one of the generations, it boils down to they resist the idea of simply being told what to do. They don't resist it if you also tell them why. Why am I telling you to do it that way? Well, I'll tell you why. I'm, you know, it's not just because I'm telling you to do it, but that's my generation would simply say, don't, just do it. And then they walk away and they say to themselves, I have no clue what he just said to me. And that's been going on for generations, but it doesn't have to. Gentlemen, guess what? Your sentence is about to expire. I could talk to you, and I've touched on a bunch of different things. I could talk to both of you, each of you, for an unlimited amount of time. But our time is limited in the interest of your investment. And it was an incredible conversation. And a byproduct is, Ethan, you and Ryan got to know each other a little bit better. No doubt, just based on the interplay. And I think even more of your company, after having had the chance to have this hour-long conversation with you, as I invite other contractors in the future, it'll always be... Barton Mallow was the first one. Thank you so much for taking valuable time to spend with me. I appreciate it very much. Well, Dennis, it was enjoyable. And Ethan as well, it was enjoyable. Good job. This was fun. Good. 
Yeah, Dennis, thanks. And Ryan, thank you for you know asking me to, to join you as well. Gentlemen, take care. All right. You too. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.